0: sounds of our city episode number four graham here graham brown on the cusp of singapore national day happy birthday singapore so it's a great opportunity to talk about singapore and sounds of our city we've done most of our episodes here in singapore because it's where our studio is based so it's an opportunity to talk about what makes singapore through the stories of the people on today's episode of sounds of our city Now Singapore, if you know your history, is a nation of immigrants and I suppose pioneers as well. Before they came, there really wasn't much here. So I wanna share today three different stories, three stories that sum up Singapore in different ways through the eyes of immigrants and pioneers. The modern day immigrants and pioneers, story number one. Priyanka Nadkani from the Window Seat Group. Story number two, Jonah Lee from Reads and Movers. And story number three, Hugh Mason from JFDI. Now Priyanka is one of a number of people who have came who've come to Singapore from the outside in search of a better life, moving from Australia, originally from well, born in India, I believe. Moved to Australia grew up in Australia and yet came to Singapore as a part of a corporate career, but later on branched out to become an entrepreneur in brand marketing and communications consultancy. And it's that opportunity, that drive to move from a place like Australia to come to Singapore, which really is one of the reasons why Singapore is such an attractive place to move to, is what Singapore has which is this vantage point into the world especially in Asia and if you're in any business that will be impacted by the middle classes so particularly banking insurance fintech etc etc the world from which Priyanka comes from then Asia makes sense because two-thirds of the world's middle classes will be living here in Asia by 2030 it'll combine value of 30 trillion dollars Which is just over, well, just under twice the size of the US economy today. So, that story in Sounds of Our City today is about change and about moving to Asia for change. Because some years ago, people only moved to Asia because it was risky, because it was very pioneering, because you did it for the adventure, for the kicks. I mean, I came to Japan in 1995, long before. Asia was a thing. It was really only Japan back then. If you came to Singapore back then, it was still quite exotic. It was still quite emerging. It's very different now. But Asia is all about opportunity. So if you're graduating now from anywhere in the world, whether it's Australia or the UK or the USA, where traditionally you had domestic markets that would have sucked up all the best talent now that's changing people are looking at asia and thinking that is the place where i want to be story number two jonah junshan lee now jonah's very interesting because he owns runs five cafes the reeds cafes in singapore and employs about 60 staff he also runs his full-time day job movers which is a logistics company And he started out making waffles. And I think it's an inspiring story because this is a story of people and hustle and entrepreneurship. In its truest form, you don't get more entrepreneurial than starting out selling chicken waffles. You know, learning how to bake waffles. I know it's probably not the most difficult thing in the world. But the point is, it's really not about baking waffles. It's about selling them. And that is the hustle, entrepreneurship. It's easy to mix waffle mix, but it's hard to make money out of selling that thing. And when you hear those kind of stories, people like Jonah, that really sums up to me, a city. Because a city really is just a collection of stories and that's what Sounds of Our City is about. And good stories, good people. And we learn everything in life through story. So when you hear about good role models, people who are just like you and me, but maybe a little bit more advanced down the road, that's inspiring. That's going to inspire a generation of entrepreneurs coming through because we teach through story and ecosystems are stories. So the more people like Jonah that we can profile and share the story of, the more people will learn that this is how to do it. It's not necessarily going straight into the accelerator, raising five million bucks and creating a billion dollar app. That's celebrity entrepreneurship. The reality is, is people like Jonah start off selling waffles for a buck. So, those are my particular favorites, the kind of stories that I want to share. Obviously, I'm biased. I mean, Sounds of Our City is a journey in itself, and we're starting off talking about entrepreneurs, but I want to take this further. I want to take this out into the world, because the only people I really know, having been here in Singapore for a year and doing the podcast and setting up the agency are entrepreneurs. That's going to change in time. But we're starting here with entrepreneurs, and is one of the best stories out there. So enjoy that one. Lastly, Hugh Mason, JFDI, which has a number of interpretations for the name. I believe the story is is that initially he was refused his first version of that name and they had to change it to Joyful Frog Digital Incubator. It's a bit of a mouthful, but you can guess what JFDI meant originally. Now that was a company incubator started long before incubators accelerators and co-working face spaces were a thing i think they started out in 2009 as hackerspace listen to the story where hugh joins his founders or some of the original people in that hackerspace journey meng and thomas when they had a space above a restaurant you know a tiny little space where the the journey began such as the stuff of legends when it was just a bunch of misfits. A tribe of unlikelies, people who just come together, not because they were building a startup ecosystem, but because maybe they didn't belong somewhere else. And that was what the Singapore story was about. It wasn't necessarily people who come here to build something, but just come here because that's where they could fit in. That's where they could find like-minded people who are maybe disenfranchised or disillusioned with what else was out there and that requires belief, taking risk. And the, the premium that those people place on getting it jo- done, getting the job done over how they feel was really important because how they felt really meant what other people felt about them. So to get the job done was to create this movement or this tribe of people and places that they could belong and grow and create startups was more important than being the weirdos or the outsiders in that little hacker space where it all started. And I think that story sums up why I came here to Singapore. And then that is I moved to Singapore originally from Japan just over a year ago and Japan is a fantastic place and I love it very much and it's half my life really and that is good culturally but as an entrepreneur you want more you aren't about comfort you aren't about having you know a great scenery and great food I mean these are all bonuses really but at the end of the day what matters is meaningful work and surrounding yourself with good people and that is why I moved from Japan to Singapore because it was an opportunity to surround myself with good people and be inspired by their stories that is what Singapore was about for me here is a place that I could come and be with misfits just like me entrepreneurs change makers people who didn't necessarily have a tribe of their own to fit into and that for me was more important than comfort and that is why I came to Singapore and those are the stories that I want to celebrate here in Sounds of Our City starting with those misfits the people you're going to hear today the people who made positive change in their lives and as we grow Sounds of Our City we want to take this out to more wider concentric circles of networks as we touch other people's lives. I want to hear about the stories of hawker stand owners, three generations, or people fascinated by local history. I want to hear all those stories and get deep into every city in Asia, but But we start here. It's a journey. This is the beginning and hopefully the three stories you're going to hear today are part of that journey and you feel that in any of these stories, maybe you feel a sense of connection that here are people doing just what you're doing. So enjoy, sounds of our city, number four. My name's Graham Brown. Happy birthday, Singapore! Right. So we are standing on the the deck opposite Marina Bay Sands on a very beautiful, hot, sunny day, underneath the frangipani tree. <laughs> Thank you, Priyanka, <laughs> and this part of Sounds of Our City we are talking to the people that have come to Singapore and made it their home and a real mix of different backgrounds and different reasons for coming here and staying here often yeah. different reasons in that sense people come here for one reason and stay for another so we're joined by Priyanka Nadkani so thanks for joining us on this scene this thanks episode of Sounds of Our City a little bit of a background to you you were born in India raised in Melbourne PR. So you're a permanent yep. resident here mm-hmm. in Singapore. Yep.
1: What's almost the story nine years.
0: So you've been here nine years.
1: Almost. Yeah. yeah. Coming up to my sing anniversary as I as I call it every October.
0: Is it every October? So it'll be ten years. Or <laughs> no, no, it'll be
1: nine years. Almost nine wow. years. Wow. Yeah. When
0: you came here, were you working in Melbourne at the time in finance, and then yep. were you transferred here, or did you come here looking for a job? How did that work out?
1: So I was. Um, in marketing for a bank for for ANZ, and they were um, it was in pretty I think middle of the GFC basically, and I wanted a bit of an adventure, and I said, "Oh, where can you take me?" Right. <laughs> um, and so it took you pushed it to them? Yeah, it was you know it was it was conversations that yeah. were that were had, and but you know yeah when it is the middle of the GFC, yeah. <laughs> banks weren't doing a lot of you know expanding anywhere except yeah. for Asia, which was um, which was nice, and so. I came up here just as a bit of an adventure and Stayed. thought I'd stay for two years and I'm still having an adventure.
0: You're still here. <laughs> is there any sort of sync with your Asian background coming here or is that just a, a secondary sort of part of the story? Because um, I mean, obviously you're born in India. Yeah. You have a connection with Asia. Yeah. And, you know, being Australian, it's kind of like neither Asia nor Europe in that sense culturally. It's a bit of both, isn't I it? I think,
1: I mean, it's been very easy to. Um, You know, to to climatise, it it was it was such an easy fit for me coming in here, and there is a lot of Indian influence here, um, and Indian or Asian, very similar, um, similar, um, you know, cultures. So, so I think um, it, it. it wasn't a, It wasn't done by choice. I, I literally wanted an adventure and right. just sort of said, where can you take me? And no one was going to Europe or America or right. any of the... So you, you hopped know, on board. You are here. So I was here, yeah.
0: So you worked in finance here and we're sort of under the shadow of probably some of your we former... Are. You can still employers. see the logo up there. Yeah, I no, you know. We've got all, <laughs> all these banks jammed in together in this little bit of real estate here, and we're sort of overlooking marina-based lands, the iconic sort of symbol of Singapore. We've got Singapore's National Day coming up around the Mm. corner as well. We're going to publish this around about that time. What does it mean to you to be in Singapore? What does Singapore, the city, mean to you? I mean, obviously, you know, we've talked a lot about the opportunity there are for people, especially Mm. if you're an entrepreneur starting your own business. Is there anything
1: beyond that that people don't usually see sort of on first glance? um i i genuinely think the biggest thing that i love about it is just the melt of different cultures so i just walked through coming from raffles place i i walked through um clifford centre and and um change alley i think they're, they're they're making some changes over there but um but um inside of that it's just a melting pot of different you mm. know, food and and shops and um services and people and as I was walking through, someone started singing, and I think Chinese. And I was, you know, I was. It, 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 that, that's one of the one of the things that I, that I love about it here. And I have lots of memories of walking through those those little um, places and getting, you know, an, an afternoon Malaysian dessert, or or walking through in the morning and having a having a Random. fresh juice or yeah. something like that. Yeah.
0: yeah. What does that mean? Because I, I I find that if I go somewhere where there's no real distinction between you and the locals, then it's easier to s- feel I belong in the sense that everybody's an outsider here. Yeah. I mean, there is a local culture here and it's sort of been added on many different layers. Especially for you, I mean, you know, being born in which part of India were you born?
1: From Mumbai.
0: Mumbai. Mumbai. And do, do you <laughs> remember any of it as a kid?
1: Very little of it, uh, but I've been back a number right. of times and I've still got family there, so I've yeah. still got that connection. And it, you know, my my parents are like, in, like, grew up in India, so yeah. I've got a lot of that culture coming through in the way that I was brought up and the family that I spent. You time speak with Hindi. Here. I am. Um, I hate saying it, but Rusty. um, no, I, I'm, I I, I, it's not something that I can speak, but I can understand it. Right. So, um, I just I have trouble putting together the words, uh, right. Crafting it, but I could, But if if I heard it, I couldn't. You could probably you. hear it very well because yeah. it's the mother tongue, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, and being here in Singapore as well, um, you know, I'm curious about, you know, that whole sort of uh, scene for being an entrepreneur here as well. Yeah. I mean, you've you come from Melbourne, which is a fantastic city, you know, it's got great culture, great climate. I actually prefer this though, I have mm. to say, I put my, nail my colours to the mast. Um, everybody's talked about Melbourne coffee, etc, etc, etc. So why would you move and stay here? I mean, you came here for the job, but stayed here for what you're doing now yep. in, as, a, as an entrepreneur. Mm. Why would you stay here rather than go to Melbourne, which in many ways, you know, may be more familiar because you grew up there.
1: Yeah. Um, me personally, it's a bit of a different story because I was quite young in my career when I was in Melbourne. So that network that I had in Melbourne isn't as strong as it is here because I kind of, you know, I was a baby. I grew up here right. uh, in, my, in terms of my How career. How old were you when you moved here? 25
0: 25 all right so quite early on yeah um which now gives away my age yeah gives away your age Um, i'm it out very quickly that's
1: right so so does does many things if you want to just google it these days um but um but um no i i think that um i i can't speak to the melbourne startup community as, as much but it's certainly um thriving here and the opportunities that you get even from a you know from a higher level government perspective I mean this is not news to, to anyone but, yeah. um, but it certainly does make it easy um, and, um, and the, the networking opportunity to build a business is, is really um, quite connected here as I feel like maybe perhaps in larger cities with you know it, it takes a lot yeah. more to connect with people and to, see, to get, get what needs need to yeah,
0: yeah. what do you think about the fact that I see a lot of Australians here Um, you know, maybe it's because they're more identifiable, Mm. um, but there is a group of Australians here. I mean, there's Australians everywhere in the world. Mm. I mean, I was from London. There's loads of them there, right? But I think increasingly there's more Australians coming here not as, you know, you have that gap year thing going on where you Mm. go and travel the world and you stay in Earl's Court in London or, you know, somewhere in the southwest, Wimbledon maybe. But now it's like people are coming here as a career choice. And is that a, a, a sort of a tangible vibe in the people that you know a sort of Austra- young Australians coming here or even like mid-career Australians coming here as a choice? Are you seeing that and what's sort of driving it
1: um, it, it, it is I have seen a few a, a, a bit of that um, but um, I, I still think that it's still a, like a minority or necessarily mm-hmm. choosing to to come to to it to Asia and really? stay here in asia but that, is, that that might also. You know, I don't know what the the other markets are, are, are like at the moment, but perhaps it's also because the other op- opportunities in the world are, are, are no longer as as tight to get into. Mm. I mean, don't let's not talk about Brexit, but yeah, <laughs> you no, know, that's but making it. <laughs> <Yeah. Exactly>, we're <laughs> that, going that, that. yeah. So and and that might mean that a lot of a lot of people will mm. will keep coming to Asia or yeah. continue to come to Asia because the opportunity. That's that's essentially why I'm here. Yeah. So, okay
0: (laughs) so just in summarising just a sign off I want you to share with us one small thing about Singapore that if you weren't to live here you'd miss and I'll give you mine Mm. is on the way here um, we just on that sort of Mm. like the bridge that comes across from the buildings over there we stopped at the coffee place and I picked up a coffee for like $1.30 or something (laughs) and I do really love that part about Singapore is that you can just go and have not the fact that it's cheap but Mm. it's kind of unassuming Mm. you can go there and you don't have to be anything or be anybody Mm. and you can just kind of hang out and next to you there's probably just local people could be a high court judge it could be you wouldn't know yeah, just normal people like everybody sort of blended in together I really love that about Singapore it's those small things that I like even if it's a hawker centre or yep. some uncle's like coffee stall stand somewhere Yeah, that's one of my favourite things I know all the big things like the imagery here like yep. the MBS is great but at the end of the day it's that that really keeps me here what about for you what are those small things that you really like um, about Singapore
1: um, I personally for me I think the re- the, the way that what's kept me staying here is is great friends and great um, people who will help you out no matter whether it's in your career or in your personal life and whether that's because everyone's come here from somewhere else and is, yeah. and, has, and has got that I will help you out because we know what it's like to, to, to set up here mm. um, I find that it's that, that that helpfulness in in terms of um, getting by on a daily basis is really awesome and, mm. and, and I've made some great friends and um, great people um, mentors in, in, from a business perspective all, all across the region mm. as a result of being here and um, I think that's impo- that's really important yeah. to me, the, the actual people connection that is it it's yeah. the people isn't yeah. it I mean mm-hmm. I've
0: lived on tropical islands like mm-hmm. I thought that was it until I got there and got quite bored of it I realised actually it's the people that are really important yeah. that's what keeps you in a place mm-hmm. and that point about you know if you're new somewhere people will reach out and want to help you mm-hmm. like when we built our studio up in Bukit Timah, it was just a an empty shell and I put the call out there and all these people turned up on a Saturday and all I did was pay them with beer and they helped build that studio they put up all the foam tiles and so on and I think that's really great I wonder if that can happen in every city maybe there's certain places where you have that big sort of community coming in from the outside maybe that's what Silicon Valley sort of feeds off there's a little bit of that here isn't it like okay I've been through what you're going through now therefore I'm kind of like repaying the debt Those people that gave me all that help.
1: I'm I'm, I'm a a really big fan of that, and um, one of the things that I really stick by is um, is connecting other people because Mm. it's been done for me, and that's you know, fingers crossed that'll that'll continue to work out.
0: Yeah, awesome, great. Well, thanks for sharing your story of Singapore, Priyanka. No
1: problem. Um, As we
0: yeah, beautiful. It is a really nice I'd day, and it, Yeah, it's soaking all the sights, but this is what it's about. So we're signing off from Fullerton Bay here in Singapore under the frangipani tree. So thank you very much. Thank you. So we're here up at uh, NUS in Singapore and we're standing outside a very nice cafe called Reeds, Reeds. with Jonah. Thanks so much for bringing us here and sharing a little bit of your story. Uh, I've sort of met you a number of times and I've got a really good vibe from who you are and what you do. You, you're very much supportive of the startup ecosystem here in Singapore and it's very helpful to people on that journey as well. Uh, maybe what people don't know so much about you, uh, Jonah, is your background mm. and the fact that you started off at a place like this, Right, uh, cafes, Yeah, cooking the... waffles, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what's the story? So. Maybe you can sort of bring us up to speed. Reed's, yeah. this is your cafe. One right. of how many do you have in Singapore now?
2: Currently, we have about five. Yeah. Yeah, but we've opened about nine. So, yeah, uh, some of them through the years, and it's about like 10 years, right, uh, have since closed. Yeah. Yeah, so it's taught us like some painful lessons, but yeah, currently we have about five. So, um, they're all uh, operated by us. Yeah. yeah. So, they're not franchises.
0: So, the interesting thing about you, you started out, with this business cooking waffles and we'll talk about that in a minute you're now in the business of tech right it's been a long journey how uh, many years now um since you cooked your first waffle
2: wow well, i don't know 11 or
0: 12 11 years. i believe can you c- still cook waffles no yeah,
2: we, we don't cook waffles oh. <laughs> we can put it in the machine and it turns out waffles okay
0: <laughs> well it's kind of cooking isn't it uh,
2: yeah yeah that, like prep yeah
0: tell me about the very first waffle that you sold Right. And what was the context? Where did you sell it? Mm. Were you, did you make it? Right. Did you sell it? Yeah. Tell us about that story.
2: Yeah, so uh, I have a partner, right? Like uh, I graduated locally from uh, the National University of Singapore. I was from the business school. My partner was from engineering, right? So we thought it was a good idea to uh, test out like our business acumen in a kiosk. Yeah, so uh, we were trying to figure out what to sell. Um, we, I guess I like, decided one of two, like we either sell like I don't even know, bean curd. Yeah, yeah, like uh, like or a tofu. Or? Yeah, like tofu, like a, yeah. uh, or like uh, waffles, and both of which are like a commercially viable. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what we did was basically to rent like waffle making machines. Yeah, and then we went to like a uh, this place called Waffle Town. I'm not, not sure if you know that, but, right. but you know, we bought waffle mix, yeah, and then we just started it mm. that way. Yeah. So my partner and I, uh, we, we did it ourselves, right? Uh, I think typically when you start up in F and B, you kind of get your hands dirty, right? You so have to. Yeah. So, you're yeah, trying to no figure option. out, yeah, you know, what kind of consistency of the mix should you be using, and, you
0: know, once you figure that MVP, out... MVP, right? <laughs> it's kind of like an MVP. Product market, or yeah. well, product development, yeah. I think but I it.
2: Something we really liked about it, and we came to learn about it, was what you call like long-tail revenues. Yeah. yeah so, you buy a waffle, uh, you know, people pay... Like 50 cents more for some chocolate on it, Uh, some peanut
0: butter, or some butter.
2: The upsell, exactly. And actually, the margins all come from the upsell.
0: Ah, well, you know, I mean, Salesforce has made a billion dollar, multi billion dollar (laughs) business out of that. (laughs) Right. right? Yeah, there's no difference. I mean, you're learning it in a very simple concept. Yeah. How is it like actually selling it at the beginning? You had a kiosk. Uh, Right. Describe to me, I mean, now we're looking at a, a cafe of I don't know how many seats, probably 97. Okay, so I was going to say 100. Uh, yeah, close. That's a good <laughs> really guess, close. right? So, around about 100 seats, a kiosk, no seating, or yeah. did it have? So, what was it like? Just a stand, a it stall, was just a stand. like a hawker stall?
2: Uh, yeah, kind of even smaller. Or right. It really is just like a, I don't know, a push cart. If you push cart. It. Yeah, it's kind of a push cart, and then like I don't know, two machines yeah. and like a bucket of mix <laughs> and like Living some Yeah. and yeah. So um, you were you just
0: like scooping out the the mix into the waffle machine? yeah and just like pressing it pressing it, on it and yeah. then putting the sauce on top and then selling yeah, exactly. it exactly yeah. and how much would you sell them for
2: uh, a dollar yeah yeah and then like uh, I don't know depending on what you add on like another 20 cents or another 50 right. cents yeah so um, but th- we first we started selling it after like uh, I guess numerous uh, trials mm. yeah so we did it on our own right until right. we kind of got like a certain degree of consistency and then um, it was it's on campus yeah, yeah and then our kiosk was in um, in the hostel area mm. yeah and uh likes only wake up at like 10. Okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, I remember our first sale was kind of like that. Like a, uh, Imagine like a sleepy-headed um, Vietnamese student coming up right. and it's like flip-flops and yeah. it's like, he smells your waffles from afar. Yeah, that was kind of like our first sale.
0: First sale? was it, How did it feel when you, you handed over the waffle and got the money for the first uh, one?
2: I, I guess like, truth be told, it, it didn't... It, it, was, it wasn't an aha moment for sure yeah. because like uh, immediately after like more people started coming so you know our brains just kind of like became very operational yeah. it's like hey like you know, uh, when are we going to run out of mix right. and uh, how much money are we going to make today
0: <laughs> how many <fill laughs> of these waffles would you have to sell to have a good day
2: wow uh, for the, the, the kiosk itself maybe uh, I think 120 would be really good
0: 120 yeah your so profit margins were
2: oh like really good like uh, I, I think on a gross level maybe like 70% oh wow yeah,
0: so you're doing all right for students.
2: Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I th- yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure that's a good way to start because, like, I don't know. I, I think it got to us. Yeah. Imagine like two young guys, uh, full of uh, testosterone, <laughs> 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 like you know, selling waffles or selling percent gross margins. Yeah. So yeah. It, it felt really good. I think it gave us the confidence to start our first cafe, per uh-huh. se. Yeah. And then our first cafe did. It was a turnaround. So we bought like a. It was a fire sale, so the cafe itself was losing money. Hmm. Uh, we bought it for a good price, bought over all the equipment and what have you. We turned it around. Yeah, made us even more bullish. Yeah. Yeah, and the next restaurant we opened at uh, Raffles Place like uh, tanked very badly. Right. Yeah, it was like hemorrhaging money.
0: So Raffles Place, for those people who don't know, it's quite a premium real estate oh, location, right? Uh, yes,
2: uh, Central Business District. Yeah,
0: exactly. And there's a lot of competition, and I guess the leases yeah. are going to be... Quite uh, ferociously yeah. expensive. Right? No,
2: exactly, and I don't know. You get a lot of lunch crowd, not so much dinner crowd.
0: Yeah, you don't really yeah. get
2: weekend crowds. So that's the where the money's made,
0: right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, what, what was it like? The difference between moving from a kiosk to a cafe was it just the same but bigger? Was um, there a different sort of mindset required?
2: Yeah, because I guess the capital uh, investment is a lot larger. Yeah. yeah. So for me, I threw my life savings at it. Hmm. Um, my partner had to borrow money from his parents, and we both went in uh, in that that circumstance, but yeah. right, with that reality. I you mean, if You had
0: stuff to lose now, whereas when you were doing the exactly. kiosk, you were like just two young guys, not nothing exactly. to lose. Not exactly. If it failed, you could have just walked away and continued with your studies, right?
2: Yeah, uh, exactly. And I, I don't know, even comparing that against technology now, mm. where we always raise other people's money, you have very little to lose, maybe time. Yeah, but like then, yeah, it was my life savings. Uh, and mm. at that point, uh, I remember there was this, this specific juncture whereby uh, my partner and I had to sign on something. Yeah, so, you know, if you sign on that dotted line, it's like, congratulations, you're an entrepreneur and say goodbye to your savings, right? Yeah. Or you can don't sign it and keep your savings, right? What
0: was going through your mind? It's just,
2: yeah, So, what was going through my mind is like, hey, like, what am I, right? Am I an entrepreneur or I'm not an entrepreneur? It, yeah. it, it's just that simple.
0: How old are you then?
2: Poof. Uh, wow. If I back solve it, maybe like
0: 23, I think. Right. Yeah. So, you're sort of starting out in your career. Yeah. yeah. So, like, yeah. And um, I imagine as well, like starting as a, an FNB entrepreneur or the owner of a cafe, effectively, that's not really the sort of like career path people aspire to generally, is it? It's not like, yeah, yeah I'm going to, I mean, like today now, I'm going to be a billion dollar unicorn. Right. I mean, even back then, like when we didn't have those kind of concepts, you could have worked in a bank, you could have yeah. worked in a law firm, right. be an engineer, right. or even start a, consultancy or you know there are many many options but to start an fnb business yeah. in many way you know the the
2: business the modeling s- great
0: yeah and the, the fail rate is so high uh, exactly. right and it yeah. tracks i don't think people go to business school right. to go and then start a restaurant right yeah. it's quite rare isn't it uh, so yeah why did you i mean thinking through those decisions that you made at that point when you were signing on the, the dotted line right did it feel like the right decision to make Were well, there's any doubts in your head when you did that
2: yeah in fact like i would say that it felt like the wrong decision to make but once again we were very bullish as young <laughs> men <laughs> so, yeah, so like we, that. <laughs> we decided like you know go broke or go home right yeah <laughs> yeah sure. so it, it felt like that but i i think on hindsight yeah like um I think fundamentally, like it really was, uh, so that we can tell ourselves and wake up each day, right, mm. to reaffirm ourselves that hey, we made the decision and we still are entrepreneurs. Yeah, because you can always in Singapore, you can always go back to the corporate world. Right, always you can so go work for the that. civil service and yeah, and if that's at the back of your head. Um, it's, it's a very bad way to wake up to a very difficult business like F&B right I mean long-standing hours long hours right mm. I mean in the kitchen it's hot it's oily everyone's right. a little bit like you know like on, on edge, edge yeah you know?
0: a bit Gordon Ramsay in there yeah
2: exactly so yeah you just have to know why you wake up each day to do this yeah yeah so But there
0: must I, be many days you woke up and thought oh, screw this yeah I, I really don't want to go in and you, it's not I mean any service business you're dealing with people right there yeah. you go. I mean, enough said, right? I mean, yeah. you you got to love people, but at the end of the day, people don't always love you. Uh, yeah. So yeah. you got to deal with the you know the crap that goes with yeah, any service exactly. business, and and actually be passionate about that as well. Right. And so, finding yeah. the resources to do that must be tough, huh?
2: Especially for F and B. So yeah. So it's uh, I, I guess compared to t- uh the, like tech startups of today, like F and B, uh, it really is a slow grind. Yeah. Right. So you're profitable, and you know slowly you you get enough cash. Uh, maybe open another outlet. If that outlet tanks, you know, you reset the thing yeah. and it, it's going to set you back two years at least. Yeah, so I, I think like with that as a backdrop and having sunk your entire life savings in, you don't think so much anymore. You're just an entrepreneur and mm. uh, get that out of the way and try, try to solve the problem.
0: Yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you burnt bridges by the time that you had signed that line and put your money in? And uh,
2: yeah, with my mom maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's, that's a really important story, isn't it? Because like when I started my business in 98, Um, Nobody in my family was entrepreneurial, so they didn't get it. Right. And they kind of cut me a bit of slack, but it was always like, this is a phase I was going through. Right. And therefore, I mean, I think if you come from an entrepreneurial family, it's easier because they say, okay, there's a pathway here that works. Yeah. But when you don't, or when you don't have people that get it around you, it's, you know it gets to a moment of weakness uh, and there right. will be moments of weakness as many there will always be like dipping below the line and then you have that sort of self-doubt right oh wow did I make the right decision uh, right. you know there's bits when it's really good and then boom you know
2: yeah, it just yeah it just crashes yeah. yeah and how do you
0: deal with that how did you find resources to keep going because I imagine it must have been a lot of hard work right a lot of grind right you know there wasn't exits so to speak like right. we have where you see this sort of light at the end of the tunnel, like in <laughs> yeah. the tech world, Not right? For F&B, I think. Were you just sort of so busy head down and doing it, you didn't want really to thinking about this? Or?
2: Yeah, uh, and th- that's actually one of the biggest learning points. Like um, for us, because we were so involved operationally, Yeah. we made a lot of um, very short term, like tactical decisions, right, it, there's a problem, right? Like, hey, like uh, today I lost, I don't know man, 2,000 bucks, right, mm. just on operating alone. Yeah, how can I solve it for tomorrow? And then you do tweaks to your menu and every day you do tweaks to your menu because you're trying to solve the problem, right? You're trying to stop the, the hemorrhage, right? Yeah. Yeah, but um it 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 works for very bad strategic decision making. Yeah, and you know, our, our customers basically got confused, right? They're saying, "Hey, like what exactly are you selling?" Yeah. So, yeah, being operationally involved actually became a little bit of a um, a bad thing for us. Yeah, mm. We couldn't take a step back and look at a business on a one-month horizon yeah right
0: but i think it trained you in a certain way uh yeah like you understand every single cent
2: uh exactly
0: and i think maybe a bit lacking in some startup entrepreneurs these days right especially because there's so much money out there right that the ability to understand you know the return on every dollar Uh, right i think
2: it's it's a little bit different when um yeah i went to that point like I, i think it's spot on uh, because we started out our business right with our own money. Yeah. Whenever you spend money, you think, hey, I could have bought a pair of shoes with this. Yeah. Right. But no, I have to use it for this. So you really care about the dollars. Yeah. But um, I don't know if in the tech world we use other people's money. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't get that feeling. Right. You're trying to make a good CEO decision. Hey, let's like plunk in fifty thousand right. dollars into like a really cool database system. It has these proposed benefits, but you never think, hey, fifty thousand dollars could have bought me how many plates of chicken right, rice, right? <laughs> like, right.
0: But is, so is that a good thing or not? I, I think Being free of that decision make, allows you to be a bit more uh, bullish about decisions or right. you know, at the same time, $50,000, that's like X number of, I yeah. don't know how many waffles, that's 100,000 waffles I've got to make, right?
2: Exactly. Uh, I, I think like, uh, it's a good place to balance yeah. ultimately, yeah, but uh, it's good to start with like the former, right? So yeah. that you, you appreciate money yeah, yeah uh, i so think important. like there's so many billion dollars that deca cons out there right i think people they quote 10 billion dollars they don't know what it means yeah <laughs> like so it's a lot of that's money, a lot right? of waffles yeah exactly right as many lot lifetimes of waffles. <laughs> of waffles
0: here until the moon right <laughs> yeah. um, okay so a quick fire round what was the worst ever um you know in terms of menu because you right. tried what's the worst ever menu item that you concocted, came up with, like a waffle combination or a chicken-rice combination right. that you, you, you care to share with us? Oh, Confess. Uh,
2: let me think. Okay, so we've tested like very funky things, I think, menu ideas. Uh, so My partner and I, actually, we personally um, come up with the, the menus, yeah. right? And we come up with it from a commercial perspective. So we know exactly how much, in, how much money we can spend on the ingredients so that we can sell at this price, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so basically, the menu is back-solved yeah, ah. rather than you have a really good menu and then, yeah, you know, like my grandmother's recipe and it cost me $4 and I definitely need to sell it at 6 hours I was just the other way around. So the, the question becomes like, hey, I need to buy uh, 100 cabbages <laughs> right. every day, right? And... Um, how can i permutate a cabbage so and you can julienne it you can peel it you can make it into coleslaw right so yeah so uh, that's the context so okay it's like um we've created like very um weird combination i don't know like cabbage pasta was something we tried
0: cabbage pasta i mean yeah. that's fine i get it it, it sounds okay yeah like, it tastes cabbage <laughs> waffles know. <laughs> yeah. As long as not not sweet yeah but it's an interesting way of solving the problem yeah, like you start with the problem then the solution uh, exactly and uh, you, you interestingly you you talked about you know like my grandma's recipe right in a way like if we were to sort of take that to the the tech world there's a lot of that going on isn't Uh, there like you know this is the solution this is the tech right and therefore you know this is why people want it right and I just get it and I see you know there's that sort of narrative in the tech world with entrepreneurs like never give up Uh, be passionate never give up right but you know I think that's quite dangerous sometimes. I mean, you've got to have the persistence, right? I right. mean, if you're creating like menu items and selling waffles or chicken rice or cabbage pasta, or whatever, you've got to hustle it. Uh, right. That's fine. You've got, you got to have that persistence yet. There's that sort of belief that persistence and passion alone will get you there. Yet what you're saying is like, you know, you could be selling the wrong thing. Uh, Exactly. You know, you can't just walk through walls and make this happen and just sheer willpower Uh, to get a solution because it may not be a solution. Exactly. And I I sometimes worry for a lot Mm. of younger entrepreneurs where they they keep hearing this sort of never give up attitude. Right. It's like you've got to validate this product first, right? You've got to see if people want what you're committing all your energies and your laser beams targeted at this thing to right Right. and I just wonder like you know how we can sort of help people understand like you know Mm. in the same way like just testing out a waffle like you make a waffle do they buy it? Do they not buy it? Okay, right. they didn't buy it. Let's iterate the a little next, bit. Right. Yeah, exactly. Let's change it a little bit. Maybe yeah. hey, we're going to sell like fries or something right. or just change the waffle like, yeah. formula,
2: right? I, I kind of agree with you. Like, I think uh, as an ideology, uh, being persistence is, 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 uh, is a very good value to hold. Yeah, But you still want to be smart about it. Mm. I think like, uh, was it? Albert Einstein was saying that, hey, if you do the same thing and expect uh, different results, that's craziness, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, so uh yeah, I think within that, that boundary of persistence, yeah, that you need to be street smart, you need to know what you're persisting for. Not just like blindly persisting at the same thing and expecting yeah. different results.
0: Yeah. Willpower yeah. alone ain't gonna get you there. Right. The name reads. Right. Is there a story there? Oh yeah, there is. I uh, wanna know
2: that. So okay, it's spelled R E E D Zec, right? Yeah. Um so what we did was like I, I think like uh we believe in democracy and so um as we were launching this brand, we ran like a, a Facebook challenge, right? So people would come up with names and then other people would vote on it. And then, yeah, I, I think maybe ending words with a Zank used to be cool 10 okay, years ago. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't know. slightly it's still edgy cool. yeah, for <laughs> students, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, lo and behold, we ran the competition and um, this name won so we had to stick to it yeah you had to stick to it
0: it sounds a bit of reluctance there right
2: yeah I, I, i'm not sure what it means honestly yeah but I, th- then again right, like, what what, yeah. what does starbucks mean right yeah right yeah so i mean we figured that, hey like a uh, brand and brand personality mm. and brand meaning comes after when you know when it comes to life it's your staff it's yeah. the way you talk the food that you serve so yeah, the, the meaning comes after interesting. so yeah no, yeah but you- the name itself yeah was a facebook competition well
0: you you've you've basically got your priorities in order right the fact your brand is really the experience that people have when they walk in there yeah. and your staff and the people that work you know all, all dif- you know in the kitchen outside the kitchen everything right and you as well and how that permeates across it's not a logo right. or a name and you know even like starbucks is a character in moby dick right, uh, right. yeah oh, is that right yeah right it's herman uh, melville's moby dick right it's, it's completely irrelevant idea. right and even if you look at the you know the logo itself it's a mermaid uh, right? right so that's the the connection yeah but completely irrelevant to the experience. It's right. not like, oh wow, this is like a, a Moby Dick like novel, right? So, and therefore I'm gonna have that kind of experience. No, right. it's the people and it's the culture. Yeah. And that starts with people. Uh, I don't right. think you can concoct a brand like top down. It's mm. very much like your experience and how you treat your people. Uh, right. And ha- so I'm curious the fact that you started out yourself in the kiosk doing the waffles. Right. You know, there must have been the temptation to say, right, I'm beyond that now. Mm. You know, now like, I'm hiring somebody to do the waffles. I'm just going to kind of look around and make sure everything's working okay. And right. I don't like clean tables anymore. Right. How, how have you sort of stayed connected to mm. the shop floor? Right. You know, because, you know, even if it's good for the culture, there's also your time, isn't there? Uh, like, right. you, you've got how many different projects on the go at the moment? Right. You know, that running this, P&L. Yeah your own day job, so to speak, movers, right, right. plus a few other projects on the go as well, then you're advising and so on, and being active in the community. How do you, how do you stay connected? Mm.
2: I, I think specific to F&B, yeah, systemizing it is very important. So it took us a, a good number of years to create systems like hey, cash flow systems, reporting systems, um, also like you know, um, inventory management systems. Yeah, but the whole tenet of it was, I think from day one, um, my partner and I wanted to be entrepreneurs. We didn't want to be self-employed. It's very different. Mm. Yeah, which means that, hey, like, if, if push comes to shove, right, like, will you give up your own salary of, let's call it, like, 3000 bucks, right, and pay someone else 3000 bucks to do that job so they can free up your time? Mm. I think a lot of people would not give that up, right, because that's stability and that's cash flow, right? But for us, like, we were very certain that um, we were people that would pay someone else to do it so that we could yeah. free our time to do other things, right? Yeah, so um, yeah, there's a fundamental difference between being a business owner or an entrepreneur and being self-employed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Very so interesting. Yeah. It's yeah insightful. So yeah, because they, they seem to be obviously different, but when it actually comes to the how that manifests, right, right. You you could call yourself an entrepreneur, but you're, you're no better than selling your own time. Right? Uh,
2: exactly. Yeah, and that's yeah.
0: There's no leverage.
2: Uh, there's no leverage. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Very interesting. That's that's quite insightful, and I mean you've had a, a degree of success. As an entrepreneur, I mean, have you had exits?
2: Um, yeah, like many ones. Right. Okay. Here and there. Yeah. Sold businesses. Uh, yeah, many ones as well. Yeah, many I, ones. I, I think it's been, it's been a very good experience uh, yeah. I've had uh, so far. i mean, sure there are ups and downs, but I think on a net lev- level, yeah, yeah, like it, it's been okay. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I mean, I, I'm not starving, so, <laughs> so I guess that's a good start. Yeah, yeah but I think more than anything else. Uh, um, I feel that the entrepreneurship journey has, has done me wonders because it's, it's, it's pretty much a, a journey of self-discovery mm. whereby, you know, like, hey, if, if Graham, like, you are accosted with this business decision, right? Where, where does your level of ethics lie? Every day you have these decisions, right? And then you start discovering a little bit more about yourself with mm. each decision you make. Yeah, so it's, hey, like, Graham, you can wake up at 7.30 a.m. or you can wake up at 9, right? Your choice. Yeah. Right, and then you decide and you learn something about yourself and the way you decide.
0: Yeah, are so, you still learning? yeah
2: no definitely yeah, yeah. And, um, I think every day we still feel uh, no, we face new challenges mm. yeah and then yeah like uh, my own like character and my own decision making criteria is it's put to question every day right and yeah it's not just with myself you know, your entire team questions it right mm. so you make good calls uh, people applaud you but you know it la- the high lasts for three days maybe you make bad ones it lasts for three years yeah yeah, and then, you know, people look at you differently, right? So, yeah, and it's like goodwill is lost by a single back act, right? So,
0: so why, why do you, why do you um, choose that, that path in life? Right? I mean, because <laughs> it, it seems to me that you chose the waffle factory, the, the, <laughs> the kiosk that you started, right? And, and it sort of, it, it just it was opportune, uh, right. right? You're pushing in one direction. It wasn't right. like you had a clear idea that I'm going to end up doing tech and, right. you know, so on. Um, you, you chose that, and it, in a way, it, maybe it chose you, it's just an opportunity that opened up. And yet you continued along this path, and maybe, right. I don't know if you had like a grand design for it all, mm. um, and maybe it was slightly different for what your mum had for you, right? <laughs> right. But you're, you're still doing it, right? Uh, yeah. and, and just maybe the, the magnitude of the decisions are bigger, right? You're not uh, right. just buying batter right. anymore. You're like looking after I don't know how many employees now. Right. That you've got working in your businesses. Do you know how many across all?
2: Oof, uh, yeah, so we have like employees and contractors, but I would say like maybe north of 50 to
0: 60 at least. Yeah, so yeah. 50 or 60 people's livelihoods. Uh, right. Directly. Uh, directly. On, yeah. you know, are impacted by your decisions, right? Right. Whereas when it was just the two young two guns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you weren't even like to um, impacting your own life Uh, at that stage, right? Because you could have got bailed out by your parents and so on. So how does it feel now? Why do you choose to go in at a deeper level and just, you know, Mm. it gets bigger and bigger and bigger in terms of the risk, I suppose, associated?
2: So like, uh, I I actually think it's become less risky. Yeah, because like, uh, because we we know a lot more what we're doing. Mm. Uh, Vis-a-vis, like right in the beginning, even though it's just the two of us were, but we had no clue, right? So that was probably more risky than it is now. Yeah, now we actually... We actually know what we're doing. yeah. Mm. So it's a lot less risky. Um, but I guess to the point about why uh, I personally continue on the path of entrepreneurship, um, I think this is a path I choose uh, till I'm 40. Yeah, I'm not sure I'll continue to do it past 40. Yeah, I guess um, on a personal level, I, I think there are stages in life. Mm. Yeah, and at uh, this stage uh, in my life, I want to take on more risk. I want to learn. I want to see the world. I want to have good conversations with good people yeah and then actually past 40 maybe I'll become I actually want to be a teacher oh wow yeah so my parents are both teachers so yeah, yeah they were not the most pleased when I, choose, I chose entrepreneurship yeah
0: were you trained as an accountant no? Uh, in I account did finance finance, finance okay yeah.
2: yeah yeah so yeah so I don't know like uh, I don't but there's
0: teaching many different ways right yeah
2: yeah but I think there's a certain part of me that likes nurturing yeah yeah so it's kind of like I guess to it's yeah to align to that calling of mine but um, yeah, I, I don't think I have a life calling, but I know uh, what I want to do in different stages of yeah, my life. And yeah. at this stage, I, I want to be an entrepreneur and for good or for worse, right? Yeah, yeah it's what I want to experience.
0: Maybe an entrepreneur is a, is a stepping stone to get, it's given you the skills and the network and the confidence right. to get to that next level. Hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I think so, th- most definitely. And I think, you know, just by sharing your story today, I think you're teaching. Mm. Like, you know, you, you're teaching me. Hopefully, Barrett over there as well, but all the people that are listening are learning, right? And I think that that is a you know, teaching is in many different formats, it's not always within four walls of a classroom, right? So, in many ways, you're already teaching, you know, there's something in there. I I definitely feel it. When we did the, the zero event the other day, you know, and just like I get feedback from the people that you speak to, right? And you can, you can sense that they've learned something talking to you because, especially in this entrepreneurship journey, it's really, it's not from a book. Right. So the teaching really happens in the oral tradition, right? right. And it's through example right. and through storytelling is what you're doing, you're sort of telling your story. And if and you think as a kid, you know, stories were the lessons of life, right? You learn everything through story and through example. So I think, you know, your example is in many ways teaching people, right? It may not be obvious that that's teaching, but I feel that's kind of what you're doing in a way so you you know just bringing us back here and and taking us through that sort of it's not been a straight line but (laughs) you know that sort of that that curve that s curve (laughs) on its side you know but that you know when people know that oh actually you know i don't need to go to business school necessarily or i don't need to have a lot of capital or i don't need to you know have a lot of connections i just need like waffle mix and a, (laughs) a bit of you know a bit of uh, bravado, I suppose, right? <laughs> to get it started, but that's all you need, right? Right. And that gets you in the game, and that's a lesson. Right. So, um, yeah, Jonah, it's been inspirational. Thanks for sharing this journey with us. And, you know, keep teaching, like, keep keep uh, sharing the story, because I think mm-hmm. there's uh, people out there who need it, especially here in Singapore where there's, like, we, we, where we started, there's lots of alternatives. Right. There's lots of safer journeys which may be safe, but not as rewarding. Right. And I think maybe people are looking around and thinking, Ah, uh, we've only had an example. Right. Right, so we're sitting here in, well, just off Arab Street. We're in the, um, well, quite a colorful area of Singapore. Kampong Glam. Kampong Glam. And the guests, Hugh, has brought us here to tell us a little bit of story, joined by Thomas and Meng. Gentlemen, thanks a lot Hello. for bringing Hello. us here today. I feel like there is an adventure going to unravel here. And you can hear the
3: adventure being constructed all around <laughs> us. For anyone who's listening, there's some great sound effects here. We've got 15 guys kind of like banging things, uh, waving bits of metal, all to give the impression that we're actually in the heart of Singapore. You'd almost imagine we were next to a load of shop houses with a kind of a mosque in the distance with the who might come in during you know, the recording. Yeah. As usual, a bit too hot. Yeah, that's right just ooh, steam rising up well, the I can
0: hear all this construction work Hugh but I don't see a lot of change in the, the sort of facade of the streets, the old shop houses, a bit sort of tired paintwork peeling off Yeah this, I
3: mean, when I first came to Singapore with my family in 2009, um, the lovely thing about this space is it was the only place in Singapore where there was graffiti on the walls that wasn't sort of officially designed and, and it <laughs> seems like in the evenings the traffic police don't really take any notice where you park and Meng's mother had fortuitously invested in a bunch of shop houses here. <laughs> Nineteen eighties, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the the family business in real estate, predictably
4: enough, had uh, one or two shop houses here. And after we did, um, we spent quite a few months looking for the ideal place, and we ended up at one of the places that my family owned. Right. Um, so yeah. this
0: is the the genesis of JFDI. Well,
4: actually, one before was Hackerspace. Mm. Yeah. What's the story? Um, so. When was it? 2008, right? 2009 2008, 2008, 2009 mm. we met. And I had just come back from Silicon Valley where I'd been doing startups. And I was part of the hacker community there, open source, hacking, coding, um, Linux, Perl, Python, all of that was new at the time. And I thought, you know, Singapore is absolutely ripe for the kind of innovation and excitement
3: that Silicon Valley has. And so naturally I thought the first thing to do would be to set up a hackerspace. To me, this really connected because it felt like, as I was getting to know the place, there was lots of financial uh, capital here and there was lots of uh, intellectual capital, smart people and money. But there was nowhere for people to come together. Uh, And I think the genius of Meng and also, I mean, Thomas has been a great community creator as well. When did you get going with JS camp? That was, JavaScript that was camp.
5: 2012. That was two years after I met Meng at Hackerspace. So it was exactly this space, actually, that connected me to this community in Singapore as well. So it worked in a way, I'm mm-hmm. evident. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember Meng at the time was dressing quite differently to uh, today. He mm-hmm. uh, was always in a very, very... He's in shorts today, I'm wearing a frog. Yeah.
4: But back then uh, it would have
5: been a suit. had fantastic suits... And I was uh, coming in my flip-flops and short pants trying to look for for hackers and nerds Mm -hmm. uh, that I could connect with because I was one of them. And he was a gentleman in the back of the room reconfiguring the Wi-Fi. And instead of actually saying something to people that he would restart it, he would send a message to everybody. (laughs) And I thought that was really weird. (laughs) Like he could just turn around and tell us and instead chose to to send a message. Uh, And that's uh, how I met Meng. Mm. So you met up here? Exactly exactly Can we turn...
0: I mean, for the listeners, let's describe a little bit of the scene that we have here. There's the Malayan council, which is... Is it actually a council or a restaurant? And above it, you've got the old sort of shop house style, shuttered windows, Mm -hmm. black and white style, Mm -hmm. fading paintwork, a little bit scrappy. It's not the... The heart of the startup community, by any means, on the outside.
3: No, and um, and on the bottom of the building where we were is now a pizza restaurant. It used to be an art gallery. We have the top of that building, 70A, Busto Street, and next to it, there's a little sort of hangover over the top of a little, uh, what used to be a tailor shop. And I remember being in there, where we, we decorated it like a kind of Tibetan massage parlor. And we're trying to think <laughs> how, how cheaply could we do the space. So we got the cheapest fabric we could find from the lovely fabric shops around here, hung it up with kind of bits of wire. And there there were gaps in the floor, I remember, in these sort of bare floorboards through to Mr Wong's shop below. And it was great because you could hear this incredibly sort of local conversation going in basically these women would come in and they'd go oh Mr. Wong I thought you were my friend why <laughs> so expensive and they'd always want like the best possible dress the cheapest possible price and this afternoon you know <laughs> so and it was just and never once in the three years I think Meng and I worked here I don't think I ever heard Mr. Wong lose his temper with <laughs> one of these quite demanding <laughs> local customers so I, I learned quite a lot about business from him um, and we had a kind of Co-working space. I sp- uh, although we didn't really know that's what it, we called it during the day. Um,
5: yeah, they didn't really exist at the time.
3: No, nope. no. It was 2009. 2009. Amazing mm. to think of it.
5: Yeah. Hackerspace was renting out desks though. Uh, I was considering right. at the time. Mm. That's right. I was considering. Right. Yeah. And uh, and we did serve the startup
4: purpose. I think. Remember when Vicky came in?
3: Yep. So uh Rasmikov and Gimian came in and was looking for cheap Wi-Fi and a desk. And while we were waste- wasting our time doing JFDI, he built a 250 million dollar business <laughs> and sold it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and it started right here. Um, in your space? In the space, you What know? was he doing? He was doing uh, viki.com, dot oh, okay. yeah, yeah. com, uh, with a couple of friends. and uh, So there were a whole bunch of relationships, growing up, but it wasn't really about startups. And that was one of the interesting things. When we set that up, it was really about bringing the geeks together, wasn't it? We wanted yeah, well, to do...
5: Completely. And to this day, I look back at the time at JFTI, mm. and I, I think more than 90% of the people I got to know in Singapore are because of the connection and mm. the, the network that was... Uh, they existed because of JFTI and Hackerspace. Hmm. And Hackerspace is still around today too, to your credit. Yeah, mm. That's right. It that's still right. exists in a different location. In Gayland. It's still going.
0: Yeah. So was this before, I mean, JFTI was
3: so we set up came o- out of this idea, right? Yeah, October 2009, we actually opened up. I suppose I have to tell you a story about that. My son, who's now 13, was much younger at the time. And I brought him along on the day that we unpacked all the IKEA boxes, you know, and screwed things together. And on the way home on the bus, he loved this process of screwing the tables together. On the way home on the bus, he said, Daddy, I want to live there. I want to live with a are. <laughs> <laughs> it was like this tribal thing that he'd seen these kind of, I'm afraid to say, mostly men. Yeah. Screwing things together. Yeah. And he wanted to be part building of that. Building stuff. Yeah, building
0: stuff. With tools.
3: Yeah. So he was like a proto maker. <laughs> and actually, I think there was a lot of us who could identify with
5: that. Mm-hmm. It was an incredible time. Like it really was. It was like startups were a thing in other parts of the world, and in Singapore there was only one entity, one term, one name that like rang when somebody said tech entrepreneurship, and that was JFDI. Right. And I remember I was trying to be every Friday in at the office that had by now moved to Block Seventy One, and I remember afternoons where I was very surprised. Of the kind of people that would just come by and say hi. Mm -hmm. Even, I I think I remember uh, Werner Vogels, the CTO of Amazon, showed up uh, one day and just.
3: We had Joe Ito, who's now director of the MIT Media Lab. Mm -hmm. He came by a few times.
5: That's right. Uh,
3: A bunch of ministers coming to
5: see what
0: these hairy hackers look like. So, what what was the response like back then? Because now, if you're a startup entrepreneur, it's quite fashionable, isn't it? But back then. Completely. Uh, was it different? How did people view you? Did they un- did they view these sort of these guys going in and out of this shop house with suspicion? Did, what did people think when they thought of? What did what your mum say, man?
3: Well, my mum was. She mom wants to was, get a proper job. That's right, she? and and she I still think does.
4: In the imagination of a lot of the older generation, the the most re- sort of respectable proper job you can get is a job with the government. But if you can't do that, you should go work for Microsoft, mm. and people mm. doing startups, you know they were just this it was i I think a lot of people think of working for a startup as being a polite way of saying you're unemployed which is not actually
3: true i mean where did microsoft come from right someone who's unemployed (laughs) (laughs) but i I remember people coming in here like um, recent graduates who'd say done a law degree and they'd say hey i really really want to do a startup but my dad paid me
5: to go to law school and we didn't have a garage.
3: <laughs> yes, <laughs> and there was either one or two things. Either the dad would say, "Okay, son, uh, you've got to go and do your articles. Go and be a lawyer," or dad would say, "Right, you see that Mark Zuckerberg? You got six months, son. Off you go." <laughs> and it was one of those two. So there was like this huge pressure on that group of people who were local pioneers. Right. And, and were there
0: locals though? Did you get locals showing up? Very I much imagine a lot of immigrants. Very express, much. Right?
3: Very much. Uh, there was a lot of people passing through, weren't there? Mm-hmm. Um, Lots. But but I would say easily sixty seventy percent of people were local,
5: yeah, and mm-hmm. our curious people from all around like uh, Southeast Asia as well, yeah, um there were all these like i I think the willingness to create a community around startups and technology uh existed all around Southeast Asia in small groups, and um uh, Singapore connected those in a way, and like everybody looked at Singapore, yeah. there was like something happening here because it was mm. a bit more mature, but uh but it wasn't. Yeah, the money Jimbra, was here too. In a way, Jimbra it
3: wasn't just about startups. And one of the weird things was, it was. I mean, you were doing sous vide cookery here, Mang. There mm-hmm. was a guy doing his own like DNA sequencing or something here. Mm-hmm. I remember. That's right. Uh, there were people building just weird bits of crazy electronics and stuff.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: And I remember when we when we decided that we wanted to do a startup accelerator, and that was a pretty random decision in February 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, quite a lot of the community was not interested in business. They were quite anti-business. For them, it was all about almost like technology as art and mm-hmm. sort of social action. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of people who wanted to change things here, weren't there? So we really did kind of... There was that poster up on the wall. You had Steve Jobs' Here's to the Crazy Ones that's speech right. You know, mm-hmm. up on the wall. And I think that is who we attracted. We attracted a bunch of people who didn't fit. You know, We often say this is a club for misfits. misfits. Yeah. yeah, it was. Um, but
4: yeah. that's where startup culture comes from, too, right? like if, if you don't have the misfits and the, the geeks and the hackers then you don't get the founders
5: yeah yeah the
3: hacker the hipster and the
4: hustler
5: I remember
3: yeah. that part about fti yeah yeah and it's interesting that at that time uh, i mean thomas was talking earlier today about infrastructure there's a whole lot of sort of physical infrastructure things like aws you know cloud services where i think maybe not even existing or just
5: getting going at that time. I can't remember the exact dates. Also financial infrastructure. Yep. Like the, the whole mentality, the, the knowledge about how to do companies and yeah. startups. There Very was funds,
3: virtually right? no business yeah. angels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was no, this whole kind of lean startup thing and design thinking. Nobody had heard of that here. And I mean, it was actually happening elsewhere in the world mm-hmm. just, oh. but it hadn't made it to Asia yet. So a lot of people were making up stuff uh, on their own or bringing in ideas from elsewhere uh, and I guess it was a kind of a melting pot in that sense
0: much like Campong glam is today. And Looking back on your your journey from here ten years what sort of emotions do you feel when you look back at where you were hanging out and building your own little empires all the way back then? It was it, an exciting good time. memories?
5: Yeah. I remember like, the, f- the one thing I connect with this space more than anything is the, the demo day party after the first demo day of JFTI 2012. Right. Um, to me, that was a very uh, interesting evening that ended, <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, exciting for
3: yeah. sure. And we had to kick people out at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, didn't mm-hmm. we? Um, there was a party every night here. Um,
5: there was because an excitement about it that I remember that really stuck with me. Mm. Like, like something was happening. And like, uh, the, the f- it was the first time that like, startups incubated in Singapore, went on stage and showcased that uh, they want to build companies too and, and get financing to, to solve problems and build something in the region. Right. And I, I remember for me, it was, a, a, it was very energetic as an event. And great because it was very authentic. It came from, it
3: wasn't designed by anybody. In fact, we went out of our way to make sure none of it was designed. It mm-hmm. wasn't a committee decision, it was a collective an anarcho-syndicalist commune or oh, something like that. Right yeah, right. And
4: the only design <laughs> that was happened was when the artists showed up and, and
3: right. they said, you know,
4: I'll do you the logo and I'll do you the, the right. t-shirts and the...
3: We had that. two animators who were with us for about a year that made an animated film in the space, kind of in the middle of while we were doing our stuff. <laughs> so they were kind of... An- <laughs>
0: literally did anybody question what they were doing here or? no
3: it was great time around because they were artists too you know? right
0: mm. and how, how does that you know nice. looking back knowing what you know now about the startup ecosystem and how it's sort of professionalized when you look back do you feel you must have made a lot of mistakes trying to get there or do you feel what you did back then achieved the purpose of just kind of attracting all those misfits together because you yeah. know looking at the accelerator scene now you've got the antlers and the accelerating asia which are really good at what they do Mm -hmm. but the vibe is very different isn't it it's not what you were talking about i guess that sense of you know people coming together looking for a place to fit in you know how is it different now and thinking about then well i suppose in, in the
4: in the startup world people talk about mercenaries versus missionaries and i think for us it really was about the the beating heart of innovation like technology is fun technology can be cool it's art sometimes and it's a business other times and and there are businesses that that kind of look like art projects when you're not looking too closely we were just talking about tesla over lunch
3: weren't we and (laughs) and and it's great that we have thomas with us because you keep that alive today with js camp still there is that spirit there a bunch of people who don't fit in um people who want to you know you were talking about an event that happened very much like hacker space was where people were improvising code and visualisation of data and music.
5: So, uh, JS Camp started in 2012 and turned into JSConf, which is part of a worldwide family of events, uh, trying to bring together um, developers on the web platform and educate them, entertain them, um, throw them a lot of nuggets of of content and uh, experience to build a community around that in Southeast Asia and we're seven years in and it's been growing every year more than 500 people this year and uh, it just happened a month ago and there's still so many moments from that event that that i'm reveling in where i just feel there's so many stories that come out of one weekend of things happening um like that really has gone to be something that i enjoy more and more i wonder if like sitting here looking at thomas now i remember 10 years ago
3: you know, there's this thing with like music festivals in the West where you have typically guys our age or women our age running say music festivals and every generation rediscovers the fun of kind of a spontaneous event when people come together. And it helps if you have people 10, 20, 15, 20 years older or people from somewhere else who kind of bring the idea that things might be different. I somehow feel like, you know, I was, I was new to Singapore at the time. You were coming back to Singapore, Meng, although you are Singaporean. You know, you've been away for a mm-hmm. while, and you and you as well, <coughs> Thomas. Um, but it was also, I think what we helped to do is to tap into something that was very much here. Local people had this desire to do something different. Um, in many ways, I think there's a little video I made. I'll try and find a link to it. Um, when the when we decided to do Hackerspace, which ultimately led to JFDI, we made a video in a restaurant sort of down there somewhere, Nubbins. Uh, was it Nubbins?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: mm um, and um, it's just a little short, two-minute video that captures the spirit of what we were trying to do. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't just
4: us, right? It wasn't just you. No, UMA. no, no, it, wasn't, it, was, it was a the bunch of people. Well, Justin, what was that
3: spirit? You know, a few words. Well, it's funny. This guy Justin put it very well. He said, "We just want to do what we want to do." It was like that.
0: It <laughs> primal was, screen.
3: yeah, primal <laughs> screen thing. We just want to get loaded and get loaded and, and have a party. That was <laughs> kind of basically almost said those words, isn't it? Right, yeah.
0: but with technology. But with right? technology, yeah. right. Do you was it, there must have been a sense of naivety? I know you mentioned like festivals yeah. as well. They they get professionalised, they get commercialised. Mm. You know, there's a, often that contrast between the amateur and the professional. And, but interestingly, the word amateur comes from the word heart, right? That you were doing it with heart. Mm-hmm. Yet the startup system necessarily got professionalised as well. When you look at it now, do you think it's missing a little bit of that heart, or can we find it in pockets?
5: I, I think culturally like the people that are in those accelerators that you mentioned before, they're still a great culture. It's still an enjoyable group and the vibe and the, the energy is still there um, that I think was there at JFTI in the beginning too. Uh, it, it just exists in a slightly different context for, for different different reasons. But yeah, absolutely. I feel like I was so much more naive at that time and I think that counted for everybody in this ecosystem because we really had no idea what we were doing. Or what we co- com-
3: or what we couldn't do when yeah. you don't know what you yeah, can't. exactly. You All these do concepts
5: we copied from the U.S. and mm. just assumed maybe some of that would catch on here too. Um, and it was actually interesting that the early batch of, of companies like seemed to mock what had worked in the U.S. before, rather than on on focusing on particularly mm. local problems, uh, which is very interesting. Like, um,
3: yeah, there was like you know we're in an environment here where people are um, you know for example there's lots of domestic helpers. I remember a little bit later, there were people doing sort of California-style, you know, apps to do your laundry. And I remember I was thinking, well, why is someone even suggesting that? Because we we don't really need that here in Asia. And it was like there was a a phase at the beginning when people felt they had to kind of dress up and behave like somebody somewhere else in order to escape the limitations of their own thinking and their own mindset. Mm. Do you remember that, Ming? And, And it was like... I remember you had a sign on the wall that said something like Silicon Valley's a state of mind or it's not a place. Or that's, true, like, that's true. That's yeah. true. But
4: you know, it's difficult because Singapore has been a colony for a very long time and we are used to looking overseas to see what works and how they do it, right? And I think that that can be a little bit insidious because mm. we know we all know that the enemy of innovation is people saying, you know, we've always done it that way. Mm. But I think in Singapore you get this double challenge where people say they've always done it <laughs> that <funny>. way. But, <laughs> Right. Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah, And then there's, and there's something you used to call the post-colonial cringe. I remember that phrase you used, which was a sort of a self-doubt almost, as I understood it, that, that local businesses could be great, that local oh, yeah. people could achieve they great things. Be-
5: they didn't believe that here at all. I felt like people in Singapore always looked for uh, products outside that they considered better. There was like very little trust in, in local products or yeah. services.
3: And has that changed, do we think?
5: to a degree because I think there's a lot of places that look uh, to Singapore now for good services and products and I think some people at least in the network that, that I'm part with um, people feel that a bit more themselves today yeah I think
4: we, we you know we grow prouder of ourselves every time a hawker center stall gets a Michelin star right and that's something right. that happens when we're rightly proud of it Yeah, but it's still the Michelin company that comes out here and gives out the stars <laughs> yeah that's true yeah right
0: and what, what do you feel about the area we're in at the moment? What would you call this first for the informed? What part of Singapore is this? Kampong Glam. Kampong, kampong Glam. glam. Basra mm. Street. So no. please indulge us for those that don't know much about Singapore, so our listeners from all over the world. Kampong Glam, the meaning behind that.
4: Um, kampong the, first. The Kampong is a, the Malay word for a village. Mm. And Glam is the Glam tree that used to grow around here. So this is the... It's just the Malay. This is the Malay part of town. There are many sort of parts of town that have, like there's the Chinatown, there's the Lindia and Kampong Glam, Gelang Sarai are two of the predominantly Malay Muslim areas. Mm -hmm. And that's why during Hari Raya, this is
0: one of the best places to come for a Pasa Malam, which is a night market. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's quite colorful here, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And being a Malay area as well, how does that sort of affect the vibe around here in terms of like the look and the feel of the place? It's more relaxed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, up
4: until about five years ago, you could come out here and you could smoke shisha. Hmm. And then the government, sort of, some government people came out here and, and that ended. <laughs> I think you still can if you really look for
6: it. That's the legal shisha, right? right. Uh,
0: okay. And if we just go down here, Beach Road, it's just literally a couple of blocks mm-hmm. away, right? Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, for those who don't know much about Singapore, that really was the beach at... Going yes, back a few years until right?
4: the seventies, it was. Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. And then we we decided to reclaim a whole bunch of land and just dump sand into the ocean and build new office buildings on top of it. So now on Beach Road you can't see the beach anymore. Right? Yeah, mm. it's just office buildings. That's right.
0: That's right. But, that's but the story that, of Singapore. yeah, that is the story of Singapore. Really, where we are, you've got a real mix, haven't you? You've got this sort of down at the hill, very laid back mm-hmm. vibe going on here. That's right. But the real mishmash of different nationalities as well, and you've got the progress going on just a few streets down. How do you feel about that? How does that affect the character of any sort of startup ecosystem? We talked, for example, about that post-colonial hangover or lack of confidence, maybe. Mm -hmm. But you've got something going on, a vibe which is unique to Singapore as well. How can we sort of sense that where we are and what do you see going on? I do think there's something about arriving here Mm -hmm. still today
3: that makes you feel relaxed. It makes you feel maybe... um, achieving a goal isn't quite so important and actually having fun and talking to people and just enjoying life yeah. i don't know that's and, and that's something that the east has always been able to teach
4: the west right like mm. if you think about how how eat pray love you go out to bali and then you you discover yourself i think um the the sort of culture that we've had of alienation in america where you you have a siege mentality you stay home everything gets delivered by amazon or by uber eats and you don't really get to know your neighbours and you don't talk to community it's all bowling alone, right? I think that's something that Asia can actually resist quite well because we're so interconnected and there's so much community here, even against your will sometimes. Mm-hmm. You're sort of dragged
3: into things. And yeah. we, can, we can push back against the anime and the depression. And literally, I mean, on the corner behind us of the Campong Glam Cafe and you know, that opens at what, 7.30 in the morning yep. and you can have um, Nasi Padang pretty early in the day and um... And people walk past. You see everyone because it's right on the corner in the main crossroads. Then everyone, you know, if there's people you know, they're going to see you and they're going to wave at you and. Mm-hmm.
5: I it's think that's important. Quite relaxed for sure. It's, you yeah. don't get that in, in many parts of Singapore. No. Like a lot it's of the new different. developments around one north or so and they look hygienic yeah. and, and very business focused in comparison.
3: We were just talking about the Funan mall that's just opened. Yeah. It used to be the biggest sort of geek mall in Singapore, mm-hmm. isn't it? And it's it's a fantastic building that's just reopened. Yeah. But it's very programmed, isn't it? It's like you go in and you're part of someone else's theatre set that's already been created. Yeah, I think right.
5: they they try to make a mall around that geek culture. Mm. And um, it's okay. Double know. down on it.
0: I don't mind going in there and sort of being a persona. <laughs> <laughs> Good coffee. About the area we are as well. I mean, you spent some time out in Silicon Valley, right? How mm-hmm. long were you there?
4: I was in the Valley um, on and off. Um, depending on how you count, about three to five years. Okay. I'd, so you I'd, actually lived out there? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was, I was in San Jose. I was in Campbell. I was in Palo Alto doing a startup. Yeah. Venture funded and you know, we sold it.
0: In the heart of it. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, Silicon Valley didn't happen in New York, no. even though the money was in New York and still to very much, it's in New York. Mm-hmm. Yet, you know, it, it's almost the furthest away, physically and geographically from where the the money center of America is. That's right. You know, it's happened in, on the West Coast and almost like here you have, I mean, the money is in the CBD, yet we're on this sort of satellite outpost. Mm-hmm where things are a little bit more relaxed where maybe you know all the talent isn't getting sucked into the glossy glassy buildings and i wonder you know is there some sort of story about that that startup ecosystems happen in these places not necessarily just because they're cheap but because you know people choose to be here and therefore you've already pre-qualified the kind of person that is here maybe going back to the whole point about misfits as well it's just a theory i'm kind of like freestyling with here what do you think i
5: think there's something to it like the pace actually attracts certain people and i think in in a fast-paced environment which i would consider the cbt here uh or new york for that matter it's like famous for for having this super fast pace um i think there's this uh feeling that grows inside you of a certain anxiety that you're not doing something. You're not living up to what everybody else is doing because you see everybody else being so busy. And I think the first thing that people do is move somewhere or go somewhere where it's a bit more relaxed, where they don't need to feel so bad about themselves. Mm. And then maybe that's the place where creativity can spark.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's a writer, Richard Florida, who's written a whole series of books about made a career out of this. Uh, He wrote a book called The Creative Class, (coughs) which is all about why spaces like this tend to foster innovation and creativity. They tend to have a certain mix of people with a fairly open mindset. Uh, And they tend to develop and grow in a fairly predictable way. And they tend to get gentrified. And, you know, as you say, the mercenaries come in. I think uh, just a few hundred yards away from us here, there's... uh, a. Barley Lane and next to it is Haji Lane. Haji mm-hmm. Lane used to be very uh, cheap shops, and there was a bunch of artists moving there mm-hmm. soon after we started up. Um, then it became. Then I think it got featured in Vogue magazine or something, mm-hmm. and suddenly within a year, like all the rents had trebled, and it suddenly became. Well, that's what
4: that's what happens, right? Yeah. If, you,
3: if you go to Old Street Roundabout, if you go look at
4: shortage, right mm-hmm. in London, they've done yeah. exactly the same thing. So it's uh, it's true. a it's a global phenomenon.
0: Okay. Lastly. A challenge for you all, gentlemen, is like, I want you to pick something that you can see for the benefit of the listener and to describe it for us, to give us a a sense of the vibe that we're experiencing here in this part of town. So anything that you can see um, that may be interesting to a listener, especially if they're not familiar with Singaporean artefacts. Well, Hugh, Hugh, you're good at this, so kick <laughs> off.
3: There's um, two things, really, in fact, if I can. And the first is on to the left of us, where I'm sitting, is uh, Parkview Square, which is a bizarre piece of architecture. Um, I don't know if, Maine do you want to describe that? It's like kind of the Batman building, I'm sometimes called <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very
4: art deco. It's gothic.
3: Yeah. It's got kind of epic sculptures of, of muscly men kind of wrestling <laughs> sort of planet Earth up into the sky. It's very, uh, things like that. And then behind Meng is uh, is the Sultan Mosque, which is probably the prettiest mosque in in Singapore. And the oldest, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I love being here because I didn't grow up with much Muslim culture around me, and um, and I've just found it so friendly. And there's something I found incredibly reassuring. You know, for three, two or three years we were working here, several times a day. You hear the call to prayer, and there was something that was kind of Time is when we were struggling to get money together, or whatever <laughs> I actually found it very kind of um, reassuring and it's it 's a beautiful building. I think they 've just regilded the dome it 's beautiful golden color here now. Uh, for anyone who wants to visit Singapore, come to arab street
0: mm-hmm. and, and you 'll see the sultan mosque um, there 's a sense of like continuity isn 't it i mean when you 're yep. raising funds. You know, you're, you're hustling day to day, at survival, yet this has been here for a very long time and that's going to continue yeah. to be here for a long time.
5: It's kind of the signature vibe of Singapore, is it? The, the small shop houses and then you look, start looking over them and you see green palm trees and, and big trees even growing on buildings and then these fancy, glassy, modern, yeah. architected skyscrapers in the backdrop and, and I think nobody does that as well as Singapore. Yeah, it's yeah. a
4: good mix. And and you know the mix is really, that's the word, right? Because if if we look around, we see a Thai restaurant next where to us, we are, yeah, right? and then the Beirut centre. Grill, where we had lunch, that's a, a Lebanese place, <laughs> um, and then the Malayan Council is a, I think a Malay Southeast Asian restaurant, and we've got Wine and Dine magazine has just given an award to this uh, the top Italian restaurant here, Fabrica Flying pizza Monkey shop,
0: yeah. Tapas Bar. That's right. There you go. Yeah. So I'm we've got Africa, you know
4: so much diversity just in terms of cuisine and it just shows you the the number of cultures and peoples
0: who have come to Singapore over the ages and just stayed right so yeah that is the story and what a better way to end this podcast on the birthday almost of Singapore as well just around the corner Mm -hmm. so and the 10th pretty much the
3: 10th anniversary of us setting up Packerspace here so fantastic
0: Hmm. well I would say you know first of all, thank you for agreeing to do this with us as well, sharing your story. But I have to say, thanks to doing that, because I think there's a, there's a, a debt for all us in the startup ecosystems, especially some of us, Johnny-come-latelys, who came here only a year ago to Singapore. But, you know, it takes somebody to you know, stand up and take the arrows, right? The first bird always takes the arrows. But You mm-hmm. kind of did that for a lot of us. So I think, hopefully, I'll speak on behalf of a lot of startups out there, and say thanks you're a you're lot. For, uh, this is why we did it. Yeah, yep. yeah. yeah. Blazing a furrow is that? The, that's the mix of analogies there: ploughing a furrow, blazing a trail. Yeah,
5: it was definitely <laughs> worth it just for the the community and the network that yeah. came out of this.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. You've been listening to Sounds of Our City. My name is Graham Brown. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode, a walk through another city in Asia, as told through the stories of local people. We're just getting started. Hopefully you can join us on this journey with Sounds of Our City. Head over to www.soundsofourcity.com. That's soundsofourcity.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Get all the latest episodes when we publish them before they go public and also get exclusive content when we publish behind the scenes content from our journey through Asia. And lastly, we will be heading to cities around Asia. Get a heads up on when we will be heading to a city near you at some point. My name's Graham Brown. Head over to Sounds of Our City. Sign up for us on all the usual podcast platforms. Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, etc. All the links are on soundsofourcity.com.